With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Good morning, good evening, wherever you may be across the nation or around the world. Once again, you are listening to the VMware Communities Roundtable Podcast. This is podcast number 417. My name is Eric Nelson, and with me today I have my co-host, John White. It is Wednesday, December 19th, 2017. Uh, John, how you doing? I'm doing really well. Uh, crossed the uh, Dumbarton Bridge today, so the color of the Bay Report is muddy because Dumbarton always looks muddy to me. <laughs> I always think it looks muddy. You come up with colors on that bay, and I'm like, every time I go over, it just looks muddy to me. It's like brown, <laughs> brown, and some more brown. Uh, on the show today, we have Shekhar Iyer. Uh, Shekhar is the EVP of Strategy and Corporate Development uh, for Telco, and he's also the Telco General Manager. So we're really pleased to have Shekhar with us in the studio today. We'll get to him, but before we get to Shekhar to talk about all things Telco, I uh, thought we would, uh, we would talk a little bit about the news and what's been happening. So a uh, couple things going on. Corey Romero, you're on the call, and the, the big news is the vExpert app uh, went live and apps are open. It did, yes. Applications are open. We opened uh, a little late on Monday, but uh, yeah, we built a whole new portal, uh, vexpert.vmware.com. And uh, as uh, so, so um, from Monday afternoon to now, we've got 2,000 accounts in the system, as well as uh, over 700 applications already. So pretty excited about that. Wow, that's that's like uh, all the difference in the world. And now, because everything voting and everything is automated, uh, your life is going to be completely different. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, we're, it's it's very, very cool. I actually can't wait. I'm really excited for the V-Experts to see the portal after they become V-Experts. That's when it really becomes cool. That's where the licenses uh, become available for the V-Experts, certificates, and all the different functions of the portal come alive. So you got like twice as many licenses for half the cost, right? <laughs> <laughs> free and free and, and more free. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Free, free, and more free. Well, that's great, and we should do a shout-out for the guy that wrote most of the app and, and did that Martin. in the public service to the community. Absolutely. Martin Martin Smith, uh, thank you very much. Martin uh, did a fantastic job. Um, he, he wrote you know 99% of the application. Um, yeah, it was great. fantastic. Pleasure to work with All right, Martin. great. So, and then uh, apps, are, uh, apps are open until mid-January sometime. Yes, January 19th at midnight. That's when we'll close All applications. All right, great. So if you've been doing good be expert work, you've been on our podcast, you've been out there, go, go, go apply. Uh, it's, it's a great program, free licenses. Everybody knows what it is, so we're good to go there. Uh, other things in the news, uh, Duncan Epping has made his vSAN Essentials book free. So you can go get that book free. So if you're listening and you want to get a free book, I've, I've been told that an online or hard copy is available from Duncan for free as promotion, uh, promotion for vSAN. Well, I hadn't heard that he was giving away free hard copies. That's amazing. Or at least somebody on the chat said that. Yeah, so, yeah. You know, if somebody on the chat misled me, then I apologize for that. But uh, somebody said um, that it that it's out there and uh, you can get it free. So thanks to Duncan for doing that and making that available. 
Yeah, it's really interesting. Yep. He's using a system called Gitbook, G-I-T book, right? Um, and that it, just reading through it, it's just, just fascinating because it's a, it's a brand new way of, of doing publishing that I really hadn't seen before. All right. So very cool. Check it out. So we, before we got to shake our a couple last news items, uh, one is for planning for 2018, uh, Mobile World Congress is going to be uh, February 26, uh, 2018, which is you know uh, just about two months away. So if you're going to do your planning, uh, I believe it's back in Spain. I don't know that for sure, but um, we'll probably confirm that with Shekar when when we talk a little bit about it. Um, but it's it's available. We're we're going to have a huge footprint there. So if you're if you're in Europe or in the U.S. and you can get to Europe, uh, that's one that you shouldn't skip anymore. It's becoming more and more popular. Uh, we go. We send some social presence there. So uh, be aware. O two twenty six eighteen is when that's going to go. So get 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 your travel going because it's time. And then last thing but not least, the challenge labs over the break. If you're interested in learning. Uh, there are challenge labs that uh, we're promoting, and we're giving away Amazon Echoes for people to come in and do challenge labs. So go, go check those out. There are challenge labs for, um, I think, seven different subjects out on communities.vmware.com, um, and you can be a part of that program and learn about the challenge labs. You can just go to the front page of communities.vmware.com. They have a vRealize Operations Challenge Lab, a vSphere Challenge Lab, a vSAN Challenge Lab, a vRealize Automation Challenge Lab, Horizons Challenge Lab, and NSX Challenge Lab. All of those are real-world simulations of most popular failures that have come in through the, the Global Support Org. They build these challenge labs uh, to, to kind of do your flight simulation tests. If you can solve these problems, you're probably... Uh, going to be ahead of the game when it comes to particular failure modes for these products. So go check those out. Do them over the holiday. Win an Amazon Echo. We're going to give some some away for people that uh, contribute to the community and do those challenge labs. Really, just the knowledge should be enough. But it's exciting that we're actually giving stuff away for that, too. I mean, guys, you know, we learn by experience, right? We learn by experiencing failure. And the chance to experience failure and learn from, from other people's, like, issues, you know, in a simulated environment, just, just golden, absolute gold. All right. Well, that's it for the news. So let's move on to the to the main event here, which is uh, Shaker Iyer, uh, EVP for Strategy and Corporate Development, as well as Telco General Manager. Today's subject is actually uh, VMware enables uh, CSP cloud service providers to build their cloud foundation, uh, paving the way for public, private, and mobile edge cloud success. And we're here with uh, with Iyer, uh, Shaker Iyer to talk about. You know, what does that mean? So first off, uh, Shaker, thanks for being on our show. Hey, Eric and John. Thank you for having me. Wonderful to be here. Yeah. Um, great to have you in the studio. Uh, we always start with our guests uh, to get a little bit of background of who you are, how long have you been in the IT industry, how did you end up at VMware, and how long have you been in VMware, what do you do? Great. Uh, well, so first of all, I've been at VMware for about uh, 10 years now, so it's uh, becoming more and more sort of home and family uh, <laughs> as much as it is work. <laughs> um, my background, uh, I've been in the industry, I would say, roughly for about uh, 25 years or so. Um, and so I started out actually as a semiconductor uh, engineer and uh, worked in my PhD on uh, Gallimars 9 MESFETs in the day when uh, semiconductors were big. Uh, we're now in a cycle where semiconductors are becoming big again. So yes, they are. Fascinating yes. to see it, that. The yeah. cycle. Everybody <laughs> predicted they would all go away, and it would just all be on x86 chips, and yeah. now, now we're seeing the resurgence. 
And uh, Pat, our CEO, and I like to joke about that because he also has his roots uh, coming from Intel days in uh, semiconductors. Uh, but uh, starting from there, uh, I then essentially kind of took more of a path of uh, first into academia, teaching and uh, doing research at Bell Labs, uh, and then moved over into, uh, I'd say, kind of the business domain of uh, technology. Uh, after an MBA at Wharton, I started uh, working at McKinsey for a few years and was with a couple of startups uh, leading things like uh, product management, marketing, uh, before I came to VMware. Uh, at VMware, uh, initially I started out actually uh, leading our technology alliances, then moved into taking over our corporate development M&A strategy. Uh, and then for the last couple of years, I've been on this uh, fascinating journey looking at what the uh, telcos are going through as a transformation and how we uh, as VMware can help them. Yeah, it's fascinating. We you know had to do a little research you know because you're coming on the show and um, just reading about the three clouds, uh, it's something that I, that I didn't really understand. So maybe you could, uh, we, a lot of my, my audience members or our audience members are very much similar to me. We know the two clouds, you know, the corporate cloud, the hybrid cloud, AWS, how that all plays together and other cloud service providers. What are the three clouds? Sure. Uh, so first of all, just kind of putting it out there, the three clouds that I talk about and I love to refer to are one private, the second public, and the third telco, right? Uh, if you parse that a little bit, uh, cloud itself is essentially an abstraction that allows people to look at resources as a kind of clustered set of resources that they can commission or provision whenever they want and whenever they want in some capacity format that is delivered on an as-needed basis and often is attached to a pay-as-you-go model in terms of subscription for the clouds. Uh, VMware, as we all know, has been on the journey for the last couple of decades in terms of virtualizing and abstracting infrastructure, and then more and more taking the private data center environments within corporate firewalls and operating them more and more as clouds. So that I would say is cloud number one, which is the private right. cloud. The private, traditional, we all get that. Correct. Then you look at uh, the more popular notion of a cloud for the sort of average person on the street often ends up being Amazon or Azure, which is much more the public cloud. And think about these as the concentrated data center capacity, again, of server storage networks that people can access. But these are out of large scale data centers that are geographically located at some different points that Amazon, uh, Azure, IBM, Google, et cetera, serve up their infrastructure capacity from. So that's sort of cloud number two, which is the public cloud. The third cloud, which I don't think too many people either talk about or is not as well recognized, is the cloud journey that uh, telecom service providers or communication service providers more broadly are on. So think about this as essentially taking your telecom plumbing, which is a lot of landline and wireless telephony networking uh, infrastructure and gear. Often these are uh, uh, cables, fiber, copper on the landline side, and it's spectrum base stations, towers on the wireless side. Right. And you don't historically or typically think about this as a cloud. Uh, the transformation that we are undergoing now is that these telecom carriers are essentially tired of just being the plumbing providers underneath and having others typically called the over-the-top providers 
use that plumbing in order to deliver new age services on top of. Right. Uh, and so now what you are uh, witnessing kind of as we speak is the evolution and the up-leveling of this telecom infrastructure into a very distributed cloud architecture, almost similar to the first two clouds, which is you should be able to go in and say, look, I need capacity from this telecom network, but I need it in uh, volumes that I can define and I need it at times when I need and I want to be able to kind of pay for it on a subscription basis and have them provision that in that format. And that that's the, the third uh, telco cloud that I'm super excited about. That is interesting in that um, if we look at, you know, I've been reading a little bit about 4G versus the now introduction of 5G and, and the speeds. Where is 5G going? Is, is, is 5G kind of enabling this movement as a telco being a real true service provider, a cloud provider of, of infrastructure and services on top of that? It is. Um, so in short, I would say 5G ends up being a super good catalyst for, uh, for this change. Uh, for those that are not familiar, 5G is kind of the next in the generation of wireless technologies. Uh, today, um, again, there are still sort of countries where uh, even 2G and 3G are still prevalent in terms of what uh, they, uh, they service. Uh, 4G with um, LTE ends up being kind of mostly the current generation of uh, where wireless networks are. And 5G is the next one to come. The uh, fascinating thing about 5G is that for the first time, uh, you're going to see a step change in terms of everything from bandwidth to capacity to concentration to microdata center networks, all enabled by this wireless transition. And in uh, uh, connecting it to the previous uh, comment I made about the telco cloud, I think this is going to be one of the key enabling both technologies as well as catalysts that are going to cause all these telecom operators to operate their networks as clouds. So, Shakar, um, I've, in dealing with our partners at Pivotal, they often have this idea of what they call the value line, which is, um, you know, below the value line is are kind of a lower value services, like you, I think the word you used was plumbing. And then above the value line are these, these other things where you're actually creating services, enabling things that are directly tied to business value of companies. And it feels almost like you're saying this, uh, these uh, telco functions that we're talking about um, are this uh, telco version of above the value line. Yeah, no, that's an excellent way of, uh, of looking at it as well. I would say historically, uh, some by design and some because they didn't have a particularly different um, um, attitude or approach, they have been below the value line. Uh, I think what 5G and the transformation of telco networks uh, takes them into is uh, giving them a chance to move above that line, right? And I think uh, it uh, commercially... Uh, I, uh, the way I like to uh, tell them, even when I'm talking directly to the communication service providers, is that uh, the last cloud train, they missed it. They didn't really get on to the sort of Amazon, um, uh, Azure, IBM, Google bandwagon. Uh, I think there is a next train coming with 5G, and uh, they had better get on top of this one. And I think they are showing signs of that. That's true. Like so, telcos I think probably stopped at um, doing co-location services, and then even there, they're not the best co-location services yep, exactly. out in the world, right? There's specialized yep. companies that do it, you know, quote unquote better. Yeah. And then 
even that was really below the value line when you start looking at your Googles and your Amazons. It was really creating those uh, virtual machines and uh, virtual services, you know, again, moving up and up. Yeah, no, so exactly. they missed all of that. Yeah, I mean, I think, again, to, uh, there are a number of cloud providers, and uh, I think there are certainly telecom operators that have good and interesting cloud, um, cloud services that they operate today. Uh, but none of them have made it to the sort of Amazon class of a data center or a service. Uh, whereas I think this new opportunity actually allows them to not just catch up, but leapfrog and provide a completely different version of a cloud. Yeah, um, I'll just I'll just uh, shift a little bit. But um, so in 4G versus 5G, I'm in the land of 4G. I was surprised. I was down in the Keys last year. And I did a speed test on my 4G, and I was getting 70 megabits to my to my my 4G device. Right? Uh, really? Yep. Yes, I was 70 megabits to a 4G device. So uh, it, it makes me think that the the 5G devices that we're going to do. I mean, I could literally have you know fast laptops, fast connected devices. That if if we see a speed step up in there, now we're talking about real bandwidth. And then I've also heard that latency is is significantly better on the 5G architecture as well. Um, is that kind of stuff going to then uh, impact, you know, the ability to do virtual reality, augmented reality, machine learning, things like that? And then how is that changing the revenue model for the CSPs? No, so, I mean, this is actually fascinating because there are many angles to that. So first, starting from bandwidth, yes, sort of be prepared for the next bandwidth revolution, right? I mean, people are talking about gig speeds, et cetera, to devices. So we're talking about order of magnitude change in what 5G is going to bring to devices. And uh, we're going to be able to do a lot more clearly. Uh, in fact, most of what people are talking about today as applications on this network, I would even speculate nobody really knows what this is going to enable because it's going to enable so much more. It's almost, I mean, to me, it's like the internet in the uh, late 80s, early 90s. when People were talking about it, but they didn't quite figure out exactly how it's going to be used. Uh, in terms of the uh, the nature of applications that it will support, uh, we talked about augmented and virtual reality. We talked about machine learning. There are some fundamental concepts here. One is that it is going to be a distributed network. And so by design, uh, intelligent decisions like how much data do you need to process on the device, how much data do you need to actually send to the edge, how much data do you need to uh, send to your base station, uh, how much data do you need to send to a centralized uh, data center, these are the kinds of things that are going to become much more, um, I'd say, amenable as well as capable in this 5G network. Uh, so you can actually parse a problem into multiple parts and then do vicinity computing where you need to and then send something kind of long distances where you need to. Uh, that's going to make it a much more efficient network. If you're thinking about things that are, uh, I don't know, IoT applications, connected car applications, or applications where uh, you, today, you really need to sort of strap a computer to your back in order to be doing anything meaningful with uh, augmented reality on a mobile network. Uh, all that is going to become a lot easier and simpler to do. Mm. Uh, coupled with that, if we now think about an API architecture where people can actually build applications to this network by consuming all these primitives as functions, that then truly becomes this new cloud. You can actually consume capacity from it like you do from any other cloud. Pat, you said two things in, uh, in a row, um, vicinity computing and uh, connected car. And when you put those two things together, I can imagine you know, smart road networks 
Um, but you know, I'm probably even thinking too small, right? Because uh, you know, I'm thinking about my driving and, and how a uh, you know vicinity uh, computing could, could change that. You know, not just with uh, um, automated driving or self-driving cars, but just you know road networks that make intelligent decisions about light timing and, and things like that. But I mean. Absolutely, absolutely. In fact, um, I think, uh, I mean, this today seems like a little bit of a contrived example, but I actually think a year or two from now, people are going to be sort of laughing at it, saying, hey, that was so yesterday, uh, which is if you take a, a, a traffic, an intelligent traffic network, um, and sort of a ways plus plus, if you will, uh, my analogy there is that uh, a year or two from now, it's not only going to be based on a combination of traffic patterns, kind of mapping, as well as uh, uh, as uh, user-driven or user-generated uh, crowd contribution, crowdsourced contribution. But it might also be a machine learning algorithm that knows how you drive, how I drive, uh, and knows whether we wake up in the morning and go to the office or we decide to kind of take a holiday and go somewhere else. And if you combine all of this information to then provide an intelligent traffic pattern for all the drivers on the road, that becomes a super sophisticated traffic network, right? And so these are the kinds of things that could be enabled by a developer sitting on a machine and saying, I want to code this application, and how do I have access to all of this information to create this app, uh, which is where I think the the, uh, the world is headed. Sure. Yeah. Maybe bidding on, on, on uh, drive times, yes. for example. Absolutely. Know, I, I want to drive from here to here at this time, and somebody, you know, a network says, okay, well, it's going to cost $20 to do that. Yeah. But if you wait 20 minutes, it'll cost $3. Yeah. yeah. So, so I can see where the 5G trend, be, because the telco owns the last mile, right, or is, is, is the connectivity fabric that everybody's connected to and IoT devices and all that, they could certainly up-level into the cloud business now, right? And it, it can be a cloud if they build out that infrastructure, if they find the services they're competing with AWS and other, you know, cloud vendors, Azure, that are offering it. But this is like a new set of services that are going to be greenfield. So they're going to be able to take advantage of, of the fact that it's green and build uh, uh, services that are that we haven't even envisioned yet, right? But uh, yeah. because they la- own that last mile, they, they're going to be in a position to do that. I mean, there is, uh, again, while 5G is obviously clearly the catalyst for this next cloud. I do think that there are many elements of this that are today available in 4G. Uh, And so, for example, uh, you can go in and virtualize your network today uh, as a telecom operator with 4G, and we at VMware help them do that. Uh, And this is the beginnings of uh, getting to a point where they can start thinking about their core networks, their radio networks, their edge networks as software defined. And that becomes a prerequisite for and a good stepping stone for them to actually ease into 5G. Uh, then if they buy their spectrum and make the investments in this sort of new architecture required for 5G, uh, I think it will keep them in in a good position to lead them. Right. So that does segue into our, the next segment of, of this interview, which is VMware's position and offering to the telco uh, space you know, in, for enabling this transition. What's our position and how are we going about tackling, you know, presenting our position? And Sure. So um, if you think about the telco architecture historically, the way I described it, a lot of it depended on purpose-built uh systems and solutions that were delivered to them, uh, usually by what are called the NEPs or network uh, equipment providers. 
And uh, these would be uh, single-purpose systems that did a function. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, the, they did the function very well. They were known how uh, they knew how to manage them, how to operate them. So there was sort of a niceness to that uh, architecture. Uh, but I'd say it essentially became more of a complacent architecture. I mean, people kind of looked at that and said, yeah, that's the way it needs to be. Uh, what we have done as VMware on the IT side of the house is led this transformation for now a couple of decades, uh, where we've gone and shown how abstraction essentially provides you a very efficient horizontal layer that you can take multiple different applications, you can kind of operate them in a virtual enclosure, drop it on top of this infrastructure, and use your infrastructure you know, at maximum efficiency. Uh, telecom operators are now starting to both ask that question as well as adopt that as a framework for how they want to operate their networks going forward. So why couldn't you take all these purpose-built solutions and instead operate them in uh, an x86 architecture, uh, layer uh, VMware abstraction on top of that, and take all of your network functions and operate them as virtual network functions or VNFs uh, on top of this environment? Uh, this, again, uh, fortuitously, it's the business we have been in, and so therefore we are very capable of supporting the telecom operators in this journey. Uh, but the European Telecommunications um, um, uh, Institution, or Etsy, essentially came up with this as the blueprint for how telcos should be re-architecting themselves, uh, re themselves uh, independent of VMware. So it turns out that that architecture resembles very much what we have been telling our customers on the enterprise and IT side for several years now. Uh, and therefore, uh, it gives us a great ability to go in and uh, build out of experience and show them and showcase what we have been doing for our customers all along. Um, now, I will point out that there are some key uh, elements of this that are important. One being software-defined networking uh, or SDN. The other one being NFV or network functions virtualization. Uh, and for those of you that have noticed, uh, we've just completed the acquisition of a company called VeloCloud in the uh, SD-WAN space. Uh, these are all uh, building blocks or elements of how the carriers can start thinking about their networks in a more agile uh, and software-defined way that allows them to deploy services um, extremely quickly and then also experiment with this different business models for charging for these services. Yeah, I think it. Uh, you're you're leading me on this journey of understanding where they have to build dynamic infrastructure to because if they get into cloud services, uh, I think they and they must have built static capacity yep. for a defined network capacity. Yep. And as they get into you know service services, those can be dynamic. Yeah, exactly right. I think it uh, kind of takes what otherwise they almost uh, were beholden to that static architecture. Uh, not knowing how to modify that to now uh, an extremely dynamic uh, capacity uh, construct that resembles uh, what uh, what cloud operators are known to do. So this is a, a very familiar story, right? You know, we, we go into a data center, uh, the operator has a, a 5U uh, appliance, right, that, that does a thing that gets updated um, at the whim of the, the vendor, and we virtualize it. So can I ask, because I've been asked, what is it about telco and the space that requires a separate business unit? A separate, is it uh, a way of thinking? 
Is it a specialized set of functions and industry expertise is required? What is that? Uh, probably a little bit of all of the above, I would say. Right, which is, uh, <clears throat> I think, first of all, telecom functions are extremely sort of uh, latency sensitive and uh, real time sensitive in most cases. So if you think about even simple things like voice and data coming to our phone, uh, you cannot suffer like even a, whatever a few seconds delay on anything related to even uh, something as uh, perhaps as simple as your Twitter feed sometimes gives people like hives, right? And so uh, you really need to get into a mode of thinking about this network as something which has been operating at uh, extremely low latencies, extremely high throughput, uh, and needing to have complete real-time fidelity on all the services that get operated on top of that. Then, of course, there are other use cases, uh, I mean, lifeline services, et cetera, that that uh, industry is used to operating on, which was a an always-on um, uh, metaphor or mentality that they had built their networks on, so it would never go down. So taking that architecture and now thinking about it in terms of something that is software-defined, that has uh, the same levels of reliability built in, but uh, potentially through things like fault tolerance and disaster recovery, and how do you uh, bring that into uh, play for the telecom network operator? That is another area that is uh, completely different in terms of how they think about it. And then finally, I would also talk about the the distributed nature of this, uh, this uh, uh, cloud, uh, which is most of what uh, we are used to is uh, capacity that gets concentrated at some points, now either inside the enterprise or inside a data center, uh, whereas what you're talking about here is a completely distributed architecture. I mean, if you take any carrier, and whether it is uh, big ones like AT&T and Verizon in the U.S., uh, or small local carriers like, uh, I don't know, Turkcell or uh, uh, Tim Brazil, uh, these are all companies that uh, operate their networks in local geographies as operating companies. Uh, they have their asset base often includes uh, a certain number of cell towers and base stations that are distributed across that geography. And they know very well how to connect the dots and transmit a call or a data service from one subscriber to another. Uh, they also know how well to peer between networks uh, as people roam. But on the other hand, they don't know how to operate a data center. They don't know how to operate distributed capacity of, uh, of uh, storage network uh, compute. And so we are now marrying the two together, right? So we are actually taking that distributed telecom network and injecting uh, the influence of a data center and software-defined capacity into that. But we need to do that in a distributed way. So that that, that these are the elements of what um, I would say is both interesting as well as different compared to the journey that we have been on. Got it, got it. And we've learned some lessons, right? We've 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 dealt with financial institutions which have some latency sensitive um, applications. We've dealt with some voice industry which has latency latency sensitive, and we've dealt with uh, retail and branch office companies that have some distributed um, applications. But we haven't put necessarily all those pieces together into a single business unit and said, hey, we need a specialized architecture or a, a set of expertise that works specifically with that. Yep. No, that's exactly right. I think we have uh, constantly been on what I would call as the uh, cutting edge or bleeding edge of 
figuring out how more and more complex workloads can operate themselves in some form of a virtualized environment. Again, whether it's a VM or a VM that houses a container or a container architecture, et cetera. And so now uh, uh, telcos bring the next generation of those workloads to us. And we're going to go learn from the lessons that we have learned, but also figure out what we need to be doing different to support these new workloads. Got it, got it. Any customers? I know that uh, at Mobile World Congress last year we were there. There's a lot of buzz going on. Uh, VMware was very popular. Um, I guess uh, are our customers starting to engage? Where are they on the life cycle of this? Uh, are they just beginning? Are they partway down the stack? And so that's that's one question. And then the the follow up question is: Are they starting from a network perspective and then moving into compute and storage? How are they tackling this? Where are they at? And how are they tackling it? Sure. Um, I mean, on the customer journey, I would say they are a little bit uh, uh, all over the maturity curve. I think there are a few that I would call as more advanced. Uh, so um, uh, publicly, we've disclosed customers like uh, Vodafone and uh, Telia and Uridu. Uh, these are examples of customers that I would say are at the sort of right end of the maturity curve. Uh, they have uh, been working with uh, NFV architectures now for a few years. Uh, they've got a real good roadmap of the kinds of network functions that they want to virtualize, not just today, but uh, out into the future. They've got multiple operating companies that are already virtualized and that are uh, serving up um, uh, current services on top of their uh, NFP network. So, and then I, I'd say uh, um, there are a good number of them that are somewhere in the middle. Uh, where they have started understanding the value of uh, virtualization uh, of uh, getting into a cloud mode of operation. Uh, and probably, I'd say, uh, got like one or two virtual network functions uh, into this uh, new architecture. Uh, and then there are a large majority of these carriers are still early stage, right? And so this entire opportunity, I think, is we are just scratching the surface right now. Uh, and for those that are on the early stage, I think some of them are probably not even aware of the existence of solutions like this that they can build into their network going forward. And their, our journey is to go in and start them understanding what this is all about. Uh, and then some others are aware of the existence, but they don't know whether this is the economically prudent step to take or should they just sort of mm. stay where they are and is that the best way to, uh, to uh, continue for the next uh, year or two. It's really interesting that you mentioned, uh, I would say, younger telecom operators. Um, in the United States, for example, we have telecom operators that have over a century of history. And as opposed to, I would say, in like South America or in Europe and, and Africa in some places, where they basically skipped over copper, right, and yeah. over, over pots, right? And they've gone straight to mobility. So uh, building on top of that maybe is a little bit easier as far as their DNA is concerned than, than our telecom operators. Yeah, I would actually, I mean, so I think, um, uh, to be fair, in the U.S., AT&T and Verizon, uh, Sprint, T-Mobile, they're also uh, well on their journey in terms of looking at NFV architectures. I think it is a more complicated journey for them, clearly, because their networks are more complex. Uh, uh, but at the same time, I'd say they are definitely also well on a, a good sort of maturity path of getting there. Um, uh, I mean, as an example, on the WAN side, in terms of extending uh, an, a virtual network into the branch, um, VeloCloud uh, 
uh, has AT&T as a customer, right? So, so they are uh, they're well on that journey as well. Uh, but your point is right, which is either end of the spectrum, you have people, uh, some that are saying, look, how can we take our existing networks and find ways to virtualize them going forward and then uh, make this the bridge to 5G? And then there are yet other places where there are extremely small regional operators that are just setting up shop. Uh, and asking the question, I don't really have an existing infrastructure, and how can I get started with my voice over LTE network, but I want it to be virtualized day one. Right? I mean, we see that as well. Got it. Nice. So um, switching to kind of a little bit of Mobile World Congress, but before we go there, last year, Pat said, I think it was a Mobile World Congress somewhere there, there will be two types of 5G, one built on NFV and uh, one that fails. Uh, yeah. <laughs> does, 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 does VMware actually, you, do, I, so do you believe or do you think VMware actually offers a strategic edge to cloud service providers um, in, in building, building this type of network? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and again, I think um, the, what Pat said is sort of a true statement in that 5G by its nature is a virtualized architecture. Okay, And uh, you can have a slightly broader definition of virtualization in that context. As an example, there are technologies or technology concepts like network slicing uh, that are um, uh, primitive to 5G or that are uh, native to 5G. And what this allows is a network where you can, in fact, dictate a traffic path for uh, virtual reality traffic and a separate traffic path for IoT traffic and yet another path for machine learning traffic. So this essentially gives you an end-to-end virtualized architecture. Now, if you take the bandwidth that has been virtualized because of 5G, couple that with data centers that have been virtualized with VMware technology, you can now see how you can uh, essentially dictate policies right from sort of entry to exit or from one consumer's phone to another consumer's phone. Uh, so sh- the uh, the summary of this is that technologies that we bring to help virtualize are super critical and important. As I mentioned, uh, things like NSX for uh, SDN and using that for micro-segmentation can bring security architectures into uh, the infrastructure of the telecom network. Uh, likewise, uh, SDN, uh, SD-WAN for branch virtualization, NFV for virtualizing the data centers. So we are going to be a critical element in this architectural transformation. But alongside that, I think there are other aspects of 5G that just make it, uh, make it such a, uh, uh, I'd say, um, easy transition into uh, an agile software-defined uh, network uh, from the standpoint of understanding why this is going to be critical for uh, for uh, CSPs to deliver on the promise of 5G. Okay. Can you drill down? I, I have a personal question on the when you say branch virtualization, what, what are you really talking about there? Sure. Uh, so uh, um, take um, uh, an example of a customer who's a retail customer and uh, it might be either a an uh, insurance firm or it might be a bank or it might be uh, a store a department store uh, and uh, so these have a number of different branches each branch has had uh, has a networking need and the network need often has begins with connectivity uh, so it's as simple mm. as saying, look, how do I get connectivity to all the people working in that branch? Right. 
uh, how much of that actually is private connectivity and how much of that is uh, stuff that can be done over the internet. Then you uh, uh, extend from there to asking the question of, okay, what kind of security services do I need? What kind of caching services do I need? And if you now start looking at that, the older architecture for this would be to plug in a box at the branch and right. to essentially have right. blades that service these functions. The newer architecture is both to define those via software, so have them operating in a software environment in as virtual workloads, but also have them cloud-delivered and cloud-managed. And so this is really the concept of SD-WAN. And uh, so it starts by presenting a more intelligent uh, alternative or architecture for connectivity, but then extends into all these other services that can be delivered to the branch. Yeah. Fundamentally, offering enterprises a, a new way to do cloud computing out out to the edge of yes. their of their enterprises. Yes, right? exactly. Which is actually really cool, right? Like, gives me a little bit of goosebumps because it's so hard to do that that work where you're putting in blades and you're getting network connectivity back to you. Now you have a whole network infrastructure just to support a branch, right? Yes. Where the telcos can come in if they've got five G, you have the capacity and you have a, a, a wide area network architecture that's virtualized, connect connected connected securely, you, you basically eliminate the need of a whole function for an enterprise to reach out to their branches. Yeah, no, exactly. And think about this as a, a, a way to break out to the cloud in a secure way as well, right? I mean, you get to decide how much of this needs to be on a point-to-point -point connected network, how much of this needs to be on a VPN, how much of this can go directly on to an IP network. I know we're uh, running out of time because uh, we got to let you go uh, to get to your next place. It's great to have always have a VP or an EVP in uh, is always a, a real real privilege for us in the community to get to hear hear some of your your thoughts. Um, where do you see the industry going next year? What are some of the big things that we're going to be engaged with to try to to make this happen? Well, I think that, like I said, I think to me the most fascinating part is that this is the beginnings of a new cloud information. Uh, I am super excited to see 5G get real. Uh, we're talking about uh, trials this year. We will likely see the early deployments next year. Uh, I think in calendar 1920 will be essentially where we would see uh, real mature 5G deployments, uh, uh, probably led by, I would say, sort of U.S., uh, some parts of uh, Asia, back in Europe, as, uh, as we anticipate. Uh, I am... Uh, I am completely enamored by the fact that there is going to be essentially a new classes of applications uh, that uh, will uh, enable not just today's service providers, but well, frankly, even service providers that will be created uh, over the next uh, two to five years that will take advantage of this architecture to deliver services, everything from remote medicine to new ways to deliver education to uh, farming applications. I mean, it's just, uh, I think the world is about to change, and this is uh, what I predict will happen in the next uh, five-year time frame. It's really interesting because I was going to ask um, whether this would enable uh, backbone providers to get into the last mile business, but uh, maybe I'm thinking too small because that's still the plumbing, yeah. right? No, I think that, um, uh, it, I mean, not surprisingly, you might still have people who uh, limit themselves to what they want to be in this new world. But I do think that it uh, it sort of democratizes the ability in sort of a reverse fashion. It actually allows the plumbing providers to get up to the top and provide services that were otherwise really only 
the domain of uh, of the over the top uh, service providers. Right. Right. Perfect. Right. Um, before we let you go, we always like to, especially when we get uh, uh, big thinkers in, we'll say, what keeps you up at night? Um, I think slowing down the pace of this technology is probably the one that would keep me up at night uh, because, uh, as as we all know, telcos are not the fastest to move to new technology. Uh, I think I see uh, good glimmers of hope right now in terms of uh, what we're seeing with our customers. Uh, and if anything, I would worry that uh, that they would kind of look at this and say, oh, I can wait another three years to get there. Right, right, right. Okay, great. Moving humanity forward, you know, one one wide area network at a time. Right? <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Uh, what, what makes you most excited? What gets you up in the morning? I think that the potential, right? And uh, in, in, it almost is, uh, I mean, sometimes uh, people kind of worry about the fear of the unknown. I actually worry about the, not worry, I actually get excited about the fact that there's so much unknown about what this potential can lead to uh, and uh, and uh, think about the possibilities. Uh, and uh, just on an average day, I could spend easily a few hours thinking about the applications that would be supported by the capacity that we will have coming up in the future. But we can't let you think too far up the stack here, or we'll we'll lose you. So everybody gets excited about that. Um, and then finally, the last thing: uh, any good books you've read or could recommend to our audience? Um, yeah. So I think uh, my latest um, uh, streak has been to try to read uh, Walter Isaacson's books, uh, uh, the biopics that he writes. Uh, I think um, I'm just uh, starting to read the one on uh, Ben Franklin. Um, I think uh, there's a new one on Da Vinci that uh, probably will be next up on my list. So what's the author author again? Say that one more time. Uh, Walter Isaacson. Yeah. Walter Isaacson. All right. Excellent. Well, uh, uh, Shekhar, thanks for being on the show. You're on Twitter at, uh, at Shekhar Underbar Iyer. So I'll spell that at S-H-E-K-A-R Underbar A-Y-Y-A-R. So give him a follow. Uh, you 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 got some good videos out there. I think there's a blog out there as well. So you can Google him. You can see what he looks like, and you can go watch him on video. Did a great presentation at at one of the conferences I saw where you're talking exactly about this subject. So you can go find that on YouTube. It's pretty easy to find. And I appreciate you doing a drop in. I know you're a busy guy, so it's all it's always great. And uh, love to hear the forward thinking stuff that you guys are doing there. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Here. No, no problem. Uh, we will be here again next week. Uh, we've got an interview with uh, the expert on um, some of the some of the stuff on uh, the fling to install and run the uh, new HTML5 client. So if you want to stay latest and greatest on your HTML5 client, we'll have uh, somebody on next week talking about his blogs on how to install it, how to run it as an appliance, and how to upgrade it. So. We will be here again next week during the break. Most of VMware is going to go off and recharge, but we will we will run that one, and then we will be on again all next January as well. Awesome. awesome. All right. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you again next week. Hitting the big red stop button now. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.